Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Together We Grow podcast brought to you by Calming Tree Counseling. I hope you're all well, and I hope you're all working towards your goals. What we're doing here is exploring a new platform to converse about everyday challenges from within the social work perspective. While I myself am not a therapist, I'm constantly surrounded by counselors and their outlook on the world, and realize that it differs from how I would think otherwise. Through this podcast, you'll hear me tap into my own curiosities and ask questions we've all had, but provide the immediacy of an answer and a discussion surrounding the subject. On the show today, we have Melissa Reed and Tanya Beattie. So let's dive right in, and hopefully you all enjoy the show. I think the easiest way to jump into an episode that could go in so many different directions is to just start talking. So we live in a world that is now constantly influenced by social media, Even if you're disconnected from the platforms, there's an awareness of what people are consuming. And that being said, you can't help but wonder, can we truly be detached in a constantly connected world? And to those who are connected, does who you are in person match up to who you've presented yourself as on social media? How often do you find yourself scrolling through social media? Definitely something I do when I first wake up. My phone isn't beside me on, it's downstairs in the kitchen, but once I get downstairs, Uh, get my coffee. It's probably the first thing I do. Probably the last thing I do during the day as well. We don't have the luxury of having our phones with us if if it is a luxury. Um, And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we're one-on-one with clients. um, And so for an hour at a time, I'm away from my phone and really tapped into what the client needs. So we're not maybe scrolling quite as often as people that have access to their phones all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but have I checked my phone in my 10 minute break between sessions? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, same here. I um, Mornings are not my favorite. So oftentimes when I wake up, I kind of scroll through my phone, check up on things, you know, go through emails and text messages. Uh, it's just a way that I find I can kind of ease into my morning routine. And then yeah, sometimes throughout the day, if I'm on break, I'll quickly check in as well. I think that as social media has progressed, there's definitely, there's just more of urge, I guess, to check and see kind of what's going on. And yeah, and definitely in terms of preferred platforms, I love Instagram. I really like yeah, me too. an artistic element to some of the posts. There's uh you know, a lot of businesses that I follow. Well, I think that it's fun because Instagram, you can be connected to your friends. You can also from like, again, as business owners, we like to see what other businesses are doing. It gives us inspiration or it gives us ideas or we feel connected to the entrepreneurial world. But it also can be a little bit fun in that you can follow a famous celebrity and see what they're doing and, yeah. you know, feel like you're living a day in the life of. I think that and I would say the other one that I probably use quite a bit is Snapchat. I have mm-hmm. teenagers. I've had to get familiar with it in order to communicate with my kids. Mm-hmm. And definitely have their location on. Right. Yes. <laughs> it definitely has helped with Hopefully they don't listen that. to this because that, that, that's something that right. it I helps. I think they know you check. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, sometimes even if they if it's not on, um, it can be helpful to uh, see where they're snapping from <laughs> and yeah. if it correlates with where they said they were going to be. Uh, those two platforms probably are the ones that I use most often. Well, and social work uh, has a tendency of being um, pretty stressful at times. And um, I think for both of us, we have found the Snapchat filters just as a light way just yeah, to, to be goofy. Yeah, to be goofy and fun and um, and I know our kids really like like to get snaps from us too. So yeah. So kudos to you, by the way, because my phone is right underneath my pillow when I sleep. Mm. I hear it go off in the middle of the night and like not good for your sleep immediately. Routine. So yeah, it's right underneath my pillow. So kudos to you for keeping me all the way downstairs. I could never. Well, you know, and and that like isn't just about discipline. It really is about we know so much about how using devices and using technology up until the time that you go to sleep can influence how well you sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And our sleep patterns and our ability to have restorative sleep impacts your mental health and Mm -hmm. your mental wellness. So I think that um, not only reading that literature and that research, but also kind of experiencing some evidence that that's true. Uh, definitely moved my phone into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So it's a conscious decision. Absolutely. To do that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. I feel like that 
requires a level of like self-control that I don't see a lot. <laughs> well, and that especially is especially with people my age, I think. And that is conversations that we have with mm-hmm. um, parents and with adolescents and young adults regularly because there is a ton of evidence that um, does show that it really can negatively impact um, your sleep, which then impacts the rest of your day the following day. So it's definitely um, become a increasingly larger part of the conversations that we're having uh, with people today. Um, so what we're gonna do is I want everybody to pull out their phones right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanna see what we use most often. Okay. And does this differ from like your initial, what your favorite platform was? Hmm. Okay. Okay. So mine says Instagram. I use it most often. I'm trying to figure out. It's that there one, we right? go. So mine would be. Oh, it's right there. Yeah. That's your most Facebook. Ah. Is, yes. So which is surprising. from what you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess as a business owner too, like you, we do have a page, which you can go like, by the way, it's uh, Calming Tree Counseling. Thank you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, I think I have uh, friends and family on vacation right now who are posting on Facebook. So um, oh. I think that speaks to the increase right now. Mm-hmm. Is there a FOMO that happens there? Of Like all I, these acronyms, I know. Right? I always forget fear what the of fear of missing out. out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Currently, I am definitely experiencing that. Yes. <laughs> Mine's Twitter, which is very unsurprising because yeah. I read that like it's the newspaper every morning. I wake up and I go through the news on Twitter. Oftentimes, it has to do with the current political climate in the United States, but <laughs> I, I like to keep myself aware and educated of what's going on. Right. And Twitter does not even register online. Uh, and I don't have Twitter, so... Uh, That's surprising. Yeah, I have an account, and it's dormant, because <laughs> I haven't posted on it in about three years. Other than our... We have a calming tree Twitter, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, follow um, that as well. But um, my per- I, personally, I don't, I don't have one. I found it very difficult to try and summarize my thoughts in 140 words. It turns out I talk a lot more than that. It's right. 280 now. Oh, well, there you go. See, I haven't been on it so long. I didn't yeah. know they upped like, it. You can up it, but at the, like I keep mine concise. Right. It's very, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've adjusted to that. Yet, yeah. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think I. Yeah, there's definitely a greater appreciation for what's posted on Instagram. Um, I think, you know, I do appreciate the articles on Facebook. And and so that might account for some of the time because I think there's a lot of newsworthy things that are happening now. And uh, a lot of people are sharing and posting stories and links. And, and those are the parts of Facebook that I enjoy most. Uh, in terms of Instagram, I find it's more of a personalized way to connect with people. You guys were talking about your kids earlier Mm -hmm. and I think now we're experiencing a collective increase in younger kids gravitating more towards social media Mm -hmm. um, with YouTube and Instagram being such popular means of seeing influencers and their lifestyle. They've sustained all of this from social media. Mm -hmm. There are people with 15 million subscribers that own businesses and have a house all due to this platform. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the pressing concerns regarding children being on social media at this increasingly younger age? Do you have any advice for parents who want to set boundaries and how can we consciously see that that's a reality for some people and not the general public? There's definitely an increase in uh, children and teens that are um, really looking at uh, social media as a way to gain social acceptance. And Mm -hmm. we are really finding it that it's forming a big part of forming their self-identity and who they are. Social identity is oftentimes uh, influenced by our peers. And so I think that for us, Mm -hmm. some of the worry is that some of the people that they're following in terms of the influencers, some of the famous people is that, you know, is this being given a realistic perspective of what those people's lives are Mm -hmm. and how they look age mm-hmm. appropriate and developmentally appropriate because exactly. they're following people that are much older and and yeah. so having uh, unrealistic expectations at younger developmental ages mm-hmm. uh, yeah. i also yeah. think that's a socioeconomic discrepancy as well like these people have a lot more excess mm-hmm. 
and to right. have that kind of access for people that you know don't have as much mm-hmm. it's definitely harder to attain that ideal body or that ideal lifestyle mm-hmm. for sure yeah it creates it creates stress and pressures that we haven't seen in previous generations mm-hmm. right like this so- isn't something you guys dealt with we dealt with we dealt with society like identity pressures but we dealt with it with um a small number of people right our peer groups were much smaller Mm -hmm. our peer groups weren't 15 million um people or you know the hundreds of influencers that you watch um our peer group was you know maybe 60 kids that we went to school with Mm -hmm. the influences within those 60 kids would be much smaller in terms of your friend group might have consisted of two three five, ten of those people. So um, there's a lot more impacting social identity when children are gaining access to social media and uh, capable of accessing influencers, celebrities, um, people who have platforms and voices on these um, uh, apps, Mm -hmm. programs. Tanya, you look like you want to say something. (laughs) Well, I just think that with um, a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of younger children and kids that are are now accessing um, social media platforms and apps and, you know, they are uh, oftentimes they're very vulnerable, right? And so we're seeing um, a real, and again, developmentally, they're not able to understand that they're not Are we talking about psychological development or physical development. Psychological, psychological development, okay. yeah. Yeah, so they're not they're, they don't have a, a true understanding of the risk that they put themselves on, right? And so mm-hmm. oftentimes we're talking to parents and we're talking to kids about um, privacy settings, right? And um, and you had mentioned earlier about locations on say Snapchat, yeah. right? So a lot of um, parents because uh, social media and the internet has advanced so quickly that I even know for my kids, they're often showing us how, yeah. you know, um, how, to, how to do different things on our phone and how different uh, pieces of the social media apps. So there's a real worry about what children are inadvertently exposing themselves to and what they're exposing to other people. And because it's real time often, um, and, and especially I'm more particularly concerned about the Snapchat app where, um, uh, there's no record of it. So when even for parents who are, you know, really closely trying to monitor their their kids' online activities, those Snapchats are gone. They right? disappear in ten seconds. Exactly. Yeah. So just a real concern in terms of educating um, kids and young adults and parents about the dangers of social media. There's definitely lots of positives that come come out of it, but there's also a lot of worrisome um, interactions that also occur. So. Well, and just to be clear with Snapchat, they disappear from the sender's phone in 10 seconds. But from the receiver's phone, a screenshot can be taken mm-hmm. and that image can be permanently on the, the receiver's phone and can be used... Uh, Maliciously. Uh, in yeah. nefarious ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and I think, so one of our jobs as parents and adults in children's lives is to help create boundaries and realistic expectations and help navigate... Um, social interactions and peer. And so the the interesting thing about social media is some of those parameters are harder to infiltrate and harder to set boundaries around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, infiltrate in the way of get in front of as a parent or as an adult with children to set appropriate boundaries, to help children have conversations or interactions that are not risk mm-hmm. um, inundated and or to navigate difficult conversations. And when they were happening on the playground, you know, and teachers could listen in or when they were happening on the phone in the living room and the parent overheard it, it was much easier to have that helpful conversation afterwards or to intervene and monitor. And Mm -hmm. now Do you miss the days where you could pick up the other end of the landline and listen in? Um, (laughs) so I'm not old enough to have kids where that was happening. My children have all grown up with social media like not you know I have some children that are in their late or in almost in their 20s you know like they weren't talking on landlines that that was really never happening right like they had Facebook when they were 14 15 and so started talking using that now we have set parameters around that where um my child's Facebook was set up through my account so I could Mm. see all the conversations and that was a like that was a 
a parameter around them having it. So some of those conversations that did happen, we could discuss. And I understood it was something to not be taken lightly as, as, as the parent. It wasn't meant to be a privacy breach, but rather a way to navigate those conversations. So, well, and it's parents also taking control um, and recognizing that they they are the parent, right? Yes. And and especially when your child is underage, you have the right to access that information, mm-hmm. and that's actually your duty as a parent, right? Our, we all want to protect our kids, and um, and that's more important than being your child's friend, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I know that you had asked about what can parents do. So that they can uh, help set boundaries for their kids. And there's lots of things, you know, in terms of uh, working with their kids and looking at the p- privacy controls so that other people don't have access to their locations mm-hmm. um, and open accounts where anybody could be yeah. randomly contacting them or, or accessing photos that they're posting. Also really paying attention and keeping an eye on who are their friends on social media. How do they know them, right? And some of that was a really important conversations to have with them. Yeah. Um, like look, if your kid has a thousand Instagram friends, right. are it's they really, not likely yeah. that... And there's uh, 200 kids at their school? Yeah. Then there's discussions that need to be had. Right. Checking your child's yeah. account, yeah. not just at yeah. setup, right? Yeah. And I know you talked about parameters for your children. My kids, when they have social media, is I'm your friend on social media. Yeah. Ah. So um, so then I'm able to check On them. everything. On everything. Mm-hmm. So that I'm able to see what's happening, what's getting posted. And again, I, I don't do that in a... I'm not doing that to be the bad guy, right? But I'm doing that because they're my kids and I want them to be safe and I want them to make safe choices. And I recognize that developmentally, they're not always going to make those choices on their own. Um, And it's a really great opportunity when, when those things happen to have a conversation on why something isn't appropriate or why something might be concerning and always linking it back to safety because that, you know, at the end of the day, we all want our kids to be safe and to be happy. A lot of the work that we're doing with different age groups is the impact that social media is having on kids. Do you Um, see that younger and younger? Because I know you work with adolescents in your practice. mm -hmm. Like, Absolutely. It's, and now that, you know, a lot of uh, children as young as seven and eight are having, sometimes even younger, they're having access to... An iPad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we just have to really be cognizant of what they're looking at, what they're searching, making sure there's parental controls on, um, and not being afraid to, to ask and to check. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we, we owe that to our kids. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself making assumptions or asking? My parents generationally and culturally will mm-hmm. assume and then immediately become right. defensive of like, what is this? Right. So I think that's a really good question, but I think the, how I, I have definitely assumed, yeah. um, but then my um, response to that is, if I'm assuming, I can guarantee you other people that are also looking at your yeah. uh, posts are making the same assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. And again, how does that impact you potentially? How does that impact the people in your life potentially? And again, that's a really great opportunity to have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is identifying that for, di- for different age groups, it's going to be different. Yeah. So for um, younger age groups, the parental controls are probably going to be much stricter and there's going to be a lot more parental um, negotiating of those accounts and you're going to access them more frequently. As the child uh, shows you that they can be responsible and you're seeing healthy dynamics and follow through on the expectations that you set out as a parent with those social media's platforms. And as they age, you are going to put more expectations that they can handle those parameters. But I think that it still does take checking in, navigating them, having those conversations. And being the child's fully developed brain at times, right, is um, we know that some of the last aspects of a developing brain are consequence, like understanding consequences, um, understanding empathy. We'll touch on that more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so those things, as, as adults, we have to kind of be that for our kids um, when they are posting on social media. So thank you for bringing up empathy because that mm-hmm. leads right into my next question. So in reference to a study conducted by the University of Michigan that stated young adults are 40% less empathetic than students the same age were 30 years ago. It cites that empathy is a learned trait that comes from human interaction. College and university students are spending anywhere from 8 to 10 hours on their phones, 
which means there is less room to learn these skills. Is there a desensitization to the feelings of others that you found in your work as a counselor? How do we learn to care more about those as we scroll and a little bit less about how we're presenting ourselves? 40% less empathetic than right. 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's shocking. Yeah, it is shocking because 30 years ago is putting us into, what, the 1980s, right? And yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't seem yeah. long ago at all. Yeah. Well, so you're speaking some to of us. Yeah, you're speaking to <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm not surprised. 40% seems high, but I'm not surprised that we are less empathetic. I, I think oh, that we're... Yeah. yeah. I definitely am. I find myself caring excessively mm-hmm. about people and their feelings. I think the thing is with um, with a lot of the social media apps, there is there, there are different relationships that are being formed and there is that keyboard courage happening. It's very uh, instantaneous. Yeah. So people are, kids are and adults are saying things before they've even thought them through having to kind of navigate when those conversations go sideways. So I think that perhaps defense mechanisms have changed over time as well as when you are communicating, like if you're texting and and doing some of these other apps, you're not actually looking at the person Mm -hmm. and being able to really look at taking facial cues, body language, that sort of thing. So oftentimes I'm not confident that people are realizing the impact that they're having on other people uh, just by the nature of how those conversations are occurring. Yeah, and empathy is um, not only um, a verbal acknowledgement of what's going on it's also like Tony said a non-verbal right mm-hmm. and so a lot of times when I'm working with clients around self-compassion right which is kind of our empathy toward ourselves in essence what we do is we externalize you know mm-hmm. would you say that to yourself would you what what do you think your friend's face would look like if you were to say that exact same thing to them and what we're trying to enact is the visualization of the expression someone would have if that was said to them. Um, So empathy is really nonverbal as well as verbal. Um, And like you said a moment ago, it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And more than that, it's trying to feel what they feel. That's really difficult when feelings are body sensation and a facial expression and when we're Mm -hmm. teaching little ones about feelings Mm -hmm. what we a lot of the times do is create expressions on faces to label them right we have an emotion chart that we use here as well exactly so empathy is something that we need to see visually Mm -hmm. if you think about Tanya said keyboard courage right the keyboard warrior who says that thing to the person without maybe thinking that through what they're not going to get back is a picture of that person's face mm-hmm. when they heard that right. message. And so they're not going to evoke empathy unless something happens that that asks them to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the statistic is, is not that surprising. When we think about the fact that we are not sitting face-to-face with people as often. And I would say that, you know, along with empathy, there's definitely a decrease in emotional intelligence. And yes, that goes him hand for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're teaching that in schools. We're teaching that and really, you know, modeling and facilitating those conversations, even in the work that we do here at Calming Tree. So and I think that the the high level of communication that's happening um, through our phones versus back in 1980s when it was face to face. Well, you know, I talk to people about you know, text messaging. Snapchat is interesting. It's a little different, right? Because a lot of times you are taking a picture of your face when mm-hmm. you send the text message. So uh, it would be interesting to see if there's a difference and mm-hmm. if there's a study out there that, that looks at texting versus Snapchatting. But uh, in texting, when we receive a message from someone, we really have to infer what they're saying from a feelings perspective. And what we tend to do is we infer it from our own feelings lens. Right? I've had to call people yeah. to interpret the message because I've gotten cryptic, sarcastic messages mm-hmm. and I've had to call that person and be like, is everything okay? What did yeah, you mean by right. this? Because I can't gauge how you feel through a screen. Exactly. Right. Well, hey, how are you can be lighthearted and jovial. Or if someone's in, you know, had just had a really terrible day or got some really awful news, hey, how are you can seem threatening. Mm-hmm. I know right? for us, like my generation... If somebody texts you, hey, how are you? We automatically assume this person's had a bad day because no one reaches out like that anymore. I feel like, hey, how are you is a preface to 
this is what's going on with me. Interesting. Oh, so there's an assumption, right? We jump to a conclusion that if exactly. I if I engage in this, I'm going to have to listen to their day. Right. But that's the thing. I don't have a problem with that because yeah. normally I would, you know, try to be as present as possible for mm-hmm. that person. There's a lot of people who I've seen, oh, you know, they're just asking how I am. I'll deal with it later. Right. But then you don't know what is happening with that other person at that point. So so that response is, in, in essence, kind of solidifying this lack of empathy, yeah. right? Right, exactly. <laughs> you don't really think about it until you read articles extensively speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. So we've established that, you know, increasingly we're getting more desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. So I just want to gauge and understand a little better of how we can care a little more. So... Mm-hmm how to gauge feelings through a screen. Like, how do we emotionally mm-hmm. process people who might be in distress over a text message? Okay. And I think that um, a lot of the work and conversations that we have with people here is around not making those assumptions when you're having to have those conversations via text or some of the other apps and really going back to basics and actually asking people, how are you feeling? Or when, you know, I'm reading this and it's, can you tell me what you mean by that, right? Or and kind of, instead mm-hmm. of dodging or mm-hmm. assuming, it's really just being more directive and asking people what they're thinking or what they're feeling and conversely telling people what you're thinking and what you're feeling mm-hmm. um, so that people aren't kind of filling in the blanks with, with information on their own. Yeah, I, I usually say the absence of information leads to assumptions. Mm-hmm. Clients that sit on my couch probably will be laughing right now because they hear that from me a lot. So I say to people, check in, be direct, as Tanya said. Or if it feels intimidating to start that way, let the person know how their comment made you feel so that you can mm-hmm. um, share with them your concern. Um, you know, when you said that, it made me really worried that you're not okay. And that can be the jump off point where we've made ourselves just a little bit vulnerable. That person then believes that they can be vulnerable as well. If you really believe there's a risk, then I say um, it's really better to err on the side of caution and pick up the phone, make that call. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can't get a hold of them, get a hold of someone who's close to them to make sure that person's safe. Um, Don't take risks. Yeah. Right. We'd rather be wrong and that person be healthy than be overly cautious and that's not the case so yeah if there's anything that makes you feel uneasy ask if that person's at risk of harm if that person's at risk of suicide according to an article published by new york behavioral health social networking sites allow users to create electronic profiles for themselves post pictures maintain relationships plan social events meet new people comment on lives express beliefs preferences, and emotions, as well as fulfilling belongingness needs. Mm. Social networking sites can also serve as a basis for social comparisons, self-evaluation, and self-enhancement. So there are two ways to look at this. I want your personal opinion. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through social media and just stopping and thinking, I wish I looked like this, or it'd be great to have that life? And have you ever experienced that in session when somebody else has said this to you? How do you think a person reaches this conclusion? And how can we learn to better gauge that feeling? So just to clarify, you're asking us if a, if a client has ever uh, disclosed that they're comparing themselves to people. A client or like anybody offhandedly was like, mm-hmm. I wish I looked like this or I wish I had this. Okay, or, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, again, with the rise of social media platforms, um, people are increasingly forming and gauging their own self-esteem based on those comparisons that they're making. And a lot of the conversations that I know that I have with adolescents and young adults really focus around how are you able to build a healthy self-esteem and how does social media and some of those apps negatively contribute to that and how does it positively contribute to that and then putting in some boundaries once we recognize that impact so that we can shift some of those thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm. that are created yeah and i would say even for adults i would say Mm -hmm. i'm seeing an increased um influence of lower self-esteem and social media playing a part in that in adults i don't tend to see younger people in my practice and um 
I think that we can be susceptible to that. You asked if we've ever scrolled through social media and thought, oh, I wish I looked like that person or it would be great to, you know, have their life. And I mean, I like being Melissa Reed, so I don't know that I'm necessarily thinking I wish I was uh, Jennifer Lawrence, but do I scroll through, like I said earlier, a celebrity's day in the life and think it would be so nice for me to be sitting in Tahiti right now and knowing that that everything here is paid for and and I have no worries? Mm -hmm. For sure. Or Um, have you ever bought something based on an on an ad oh, that's or a post, definitely. right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Influencer cultures. Yeah. Sponsors. Yeah, people sure. sponsoring that account with millions of followers and yeah, getting people to buy their product. That happens all the time. Yeah. I definitely have been guilty of that. Yeah. Please don't tell me it's detox teas. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I have not done that. No, but there's lots of you know different products that get um, promoted, and maybe it's I may have been victim to buying a mascara that promised thicker lashes right but again that's the power of um advertising and social media so Mm -hmm. and i i like to think that if adults are doing that when our brain is fully developed how are we expecting children and adolescents to react or respond differently and again that's where it's really important to to be aware of of what your um your kids and and teens are being exposed to and having those conversations Mm -hmm. i think it's also really important to diversify your platform And I will say that I uh, sound like I know what I'm talking about, but this is something that a client recently engaged me with and just talking about following different influencers, opening yourself up to maybe different cultures, different ideologies, so that your platform isn't inundated with one look or Mm -hmm. one voice, right? Diversifying it. Yeah. And and it was just, it was a really thoughtful conversation we had. And it really did open my eyes to how easily we fall into following... The same kind of person. The like-minded or, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, or following the way we want to look and then it's not challenged. And I think that, I mean, one of the biggest things in our practice is we talk about challenging our negative thoughts, challenging our beliefs that are manifested out of unhelpful thinking or feelings like overpowering feelings and I think social media is marketed to hook on to those insecurities Mm -hmm. or to those unhelpful thoughts and then it targets us through ads or through suggesting similar platforms uh, to follow so when you diversify it makes those algorithms a little bit harder to kind of tell you that there's only one look and one way and and I think that, I mean, this is definitely a social work perspective, but I think we can all gain from having other perspectives and other voices um, influencing our worldview. Well, it's that growth mindset, right? Like expanding yeah. what you're being exposed to and, and considering different alternatives that might not otherwise come across your social platform. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really great point just to kind of reiterate and echo your sentiment. Like, mm-hmm. I find a lot of people that just follow the same celebrities and Mm -hmm. the same influencers and we kind of get stuck in this is what's hot, this is what's not. Right. So I think that perspective could really help and get people to understand that this Mm -hmm. is a practice we should all, you know, enable ourselves to bring into our daily lives for sure. Absolutely. You know, um... We've put up here, like, we have that chalkboard quote um, in our main reception area. And one of the quotes that I have put up before is, Eleanor Roosevelt was way way ahead of her time. She didn't realize that she would be speaking to the social media generation. But one of her famous quotes is, comparison is the thief of joy. And, you know, I I talk to people a lot about when we get stuck in that, that quagmire of comparison in social media, we really are robbing ourselves of our own joy, mm-hmm. right? Because we're spending a lot more time in the perspective of the other, in the life of the other. And so it's allowing ourselves and giving ourselves permission to, you know, find the joy in what we have and who we are and to build that up, right? And so really reflecting on, are we comparing? Sometimes we just need to take like a word and make it conscious in order mm-hmm. to... So I think comparison is the word to kind of stick into our context yeah. here. Like, mm-hmm. are we making this comparison with ourselves and somebody else? And if mm-hmm. so, how well, yeah. that? And how is that impacting our thoughts? And how is that impacting how we feel about ourselves? That's in a positive so, way, then that's one thing. Comparison right? but, and impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So that being said, is there a demographic that you find at greater risk being susceptible to these feelings? So we've established that you have, we've, we've established that I have. Do you think my generation is at a greater risk of these feelings? So just to put into perspective, your generation would be university students, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we're all at risk. Actually, I don't know. I, I think that... I don't that, know if one is more than the other either. I think Maybe, vulnerable would be yeah. a word that we might... There's definitely populations that are more vulnerable. Right. And I would say developmentally speaking, you know, when your brain hasn't fully developed and you don't have you don't have uh, maybe the, the capacity or the maturity to really consider where things are coming from or how they might impact you, that would make you more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely think we're all at risk. Uh, you know, I, I think of um, where there's, you know, um, social isolation, if there's... Mm-hmm. We will also discuss that. Yeah, if there's, I think of of new parents. Think of postpartum mood disorder, where people are suffering with all the expectations that come with new parenthood, and then we get stuck in the social media platforms that are highlighting this idealized new parenthood, um, and and or um, parents who are being vulnerable and putting themselves out there and are being cut down by uh, people, other people's expectations and mm-hmm. shame statements for them. So, like, I think that there's so many populations out there that, for different reasons, are susceptible to social media platforms negatively impacting their self-perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, as parents, we do have the responsibility to, to check in and to protect uh, our kiddos with mm-hmm. these platforms for those reasons. I feel like my upbringing and just you know kids I've been around my whole life it's been the idealized life of like living in excess Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you have to have this brand you have to wear these shoes Mm -hmm. in order to fit in and I feel like social media has escalated that so quickly in kids I Mm -hmm. see kids as young as eight years old Mm -hmm. talking about the newest sneaker or you know and we just have to think about marginalized populations where, you know, yeah. again, we're going to... Like, there are families that are not as economically stable. They're yeah. not at the level that everybody else is at, but they still feel the need. My kid will not have a good experience in school because they don't have this. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. that's, you know, parent guilt. And mm-hmm. there's so many factors in that, but I, I find that these kids who are exposed to this are only seeing this through social media. Yeah, largely, I would say they're definitely yeah. being impacted by that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there isn't, you know, it's interesting. My 14-year-old right now has dreams of being a social media influencer. Some of the conversations that we are having, and again, we're having them because I sit down and I watch the YouTube channels that he's watching with him, and, and I can Any say... Any problematic behavior on those? <laughs> well, you know, it's not even about that. One, I can tell you that sometimes I'm very bored because I don't understand what's interesting about watching someone open several boxes of shoes, but I know we, which we, YouTube channel we do it. About. We do it. But you know what? Some of the conversations that we're having is about like the realistic expectations to have about what's going on in the background that this influencer doesn't talk about. The mm-hmm. fact that this is a very privileged person who comes from wealth in order to be able to do a lot of things that they're doing and in order to have the equipment, in order to be able to buy several pairs of very expensive free product. And they're getting free product. Right. And, but they had to start with somewhere. And, right. and, I, and I remember my, my teen saying to me, well, you know, they only started with a thousand dollars, but then they, you know, and I, and I said, yes, and a thousand dollars is a lot of money to, to many people. And, um, the really interesting thing was not only did they start with a thousand dollars, but throughout these episodes, they get into a Land Rover and they're in a mansion mm-hmm. and they have a bedroom that's bigger than three bedrooms in our house. And it's having those conversations with our kiddos to, not discourage them, but rather just let them get the whole context of what this influencer's life looks like. I'm not working either. So I feel like to Mm -hmm. make $1,000 and to save that up is a difficult task once you reach that age where you are working. That number sounds much different when you don't have um, money coming to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and when you think it'll just magically appear. Yeah. So from a social work perspective, how do we prevent the negative self-talk when we're in these situations of, I wish I had this? And how do you think that 
strategies in your practice are useful in stopping the idealization or potential idealization, I should say, of other people's lives? A lot of the conversations that I have uh, in session really revolve around um, being mindful and, and being really um, aware of what you're looking at, the messaging that you're getting. And, um, you know, it's always interesting to me because people will be able to identify that they really recognize the negative impact that, say, Facebook is having on them. They're having, you know, they're going through a, um, a rough period of time in their lives and on their um, Facebook feed, they're seeing people going on trips and getting engaged and having babies. And, and my question always is, why do you keep watching? Right. And, and that obviously there's a lot of conversation that comes out of that. And it's really encouraging and empowering people to maybe put some of those limits in. Right. And if, if and for a lot of people, it's you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to um, look at Facebook two hours a day. Right. I might quickly check in twice a week. Right. And mm-hmm. oftentimes what we'll do is from session to session, talk about did you notice any change in your thoughts and feelings just by minimizing your exposure to some of those social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of this is like CBC did uh, a study. Uh, I mean, they quoted a study. I don't think they did the study themselves, but they talked about the addiction components to right. social media and to our phones in general. And so I think sometimes we have to approach it from a harm reduction standpoint, like Tanya said, putting mm-hmm. parameters in where we reduce the amount of time that we use it yeah. um, and being really cognizant. The, the interesting thing about most of our smartphones, we're all sitting here right now with an iPhone. And the interesting thing is that you can set it up to limit exposure to these apps or to turn off at certain times. Yeah. And so if you need to, using the uh, technology in our devices to help us to do that. I think the other thing I tell people is um, externalize the internal. So Mm -hmm. if we're having those thoughts that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have more than me or I'm never going to, or, you know, someone else always has, um, it's find that person in their life, that caring friend, that loving family member, um, that coach or that teacher teacher anyone and say these things out loud (laughs) sometimes we aren't always capable of being the person to challenge our own thoughts Mm -hmm. but when we externalize these things um that that caring person can help to challenge and give you some wording around why either that's not an important thought or why it's not a helpful thought or why it's not true um so you know we definitely use those techniques to um help clients to get some wording and to feel more secure in that kind of challenging language. Um, And I I always say to my clients, in doing it in a compassionate way, we don't want to challenge or be challenged by someone who's judgmental or challenge ourselves in a judgmental way, uh, because then we're just adding negativity to a negative thought. The other thing I talk about is if you're at home and you're doing these things and and it it creates, interestingly, social media creates social isolation. So getting out, Mm -hmm. right? Going to the grocery store. If you you don't have somewhere to go, you can wander the grocery store for as many hours as you like. Uh, Public libraries are great places to, uh, a lot of times they have programming. Um, You can go and you can read a book in uh, in your public library and, and hang out. Uh, it's a place where you can uh, do homework or um, a lot of them now have cafe. I know ours here has cafes, right. so you can even catch a coffee with a friend and they tend yeah. to be really um, thoughtfully priced. So it's it can be uh, good for income-oriented um, social engagements too. Mm-hmm. So just finding ways to interact face-to-face, like we yeah. said earlier, um, being with other human beings is such an important part of our emotional intelligence, but also our state of well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree completely. Um, I wanted to touch on something Tanya had said regarding her practice and kind of, you know, like the risk of harm and calling somebody or the idea that you can limit yourself. Like mm-hmm. you have to look at it from an addiction standpoint. Right. So that being said, um, do you find that addiction practices as well as, you know, kind of getting people to mindfully stop using their social media or mm-hmm. lessen it? Do you think there's commonalities in that? I don't think we call people addicts. No, but there is lots of evidence that, um, 
using our phone releases um, and being on social media can release the same kind of feel-good chemicals in our brain as um, people who um, use alcohol and drugs or have um, some challenges with some other um, addictive areas of our life. So I think it's really building in um, using some strategies in terms of, uh, like Melissa was saying, in, in terms of harm reduction, right? So really being realistic, you know, am I not going to be on my phone, you know, for a month? Possibly not, but maybe reducing the number of apps that we're looking at, maybe mm-hmm. reducing the number of times that we're looking at it. Some of the work that I do is, is more from a CBT informed lens and, and really kind of breaking down what our thoughts are and, and, and then how that makes us feel, right? And oftentimes when, and, and there's a thought log that I often give to clients, once you see it in written form, it becomes much more real. And uh, similar to what Melissa said in terms of um, externalizing the internal um, internalized messages, it really does take the power away when you are able to um, kind of put that out in the world, whether it's on paper or with a friend or family member. So um, just really um, paying attention to and talking about the ways that you're able to um, even subtly shift changes in your life that are going to have a, uh, an impact on the way that you think and feel. So I think from a personal lens as well, like I'm at an age where people are on all different spectrums of life. Like I know people that are getting married or mm-hmm. are married. There are people having children. Um, and these are all in my social circle. I've been with these friends of mine for years now and they're all at different stages in their life. And it's a lot easier to compare where you are mm-hmm. in life right. because of social media. So I feel like that experience is different for you all because I don't think you heard it until you saw it or like somebody had told you that that was mm-hmm. happening. So the immediacy of this, I think, is shocking to all of us because we kind of sit back and we're going, well, what am I up to? Right. So I don't know if that's different. I think that well, I think that as humans, we we I mean, again, I said Eleanor Roosevelt was ahead of her time. At the same time, she was saying it because it was evidenced back then that yeah. we mm-hmm. ca- I think that we have in our nature the ability to look out to see where other people are at in life mm-hmm. and then ask ourselves if we're there and then I think gauge whether that makes us good enough or not. I mean, it right. really is a value. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's where it becomes unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. Um the immediacy of social media and that whole process is right. We can do it like, anytime we yeah, want, rather than yeah. you know call a friend or leave our house. Like you could to follow somebody and suddenly you know their ultrasound shows up or their wedding pictures show up, and you're like, "What? Like when did this happen?" You know, mm-hmm. you have so many questions that run through your head. But at the end of the right. day, it's, "Well, am I ever going to get to this point?" Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's oh. where like disengaging and mm-hmm. recognizing that your life trajectory is uniquely your own and it's valuable, right? I think that working on our intrinsic worth Mm -hmm. uh, rather than deciding on our value in comparison to others is such an important practice. Anybody can follow. Right. But I would say that society has always decided that there is an acceptable trajectory. And that's what some of our conversations are about Mm -hmm. is um, just because society says it's so doesn't mean it fits for the majority of the world. Uh, And so it's okay to carve out your own journey um, and find people that support it. And again, recognizing that just because it's on social media doesn't mean it means what it says. Yeah. Right? It's not doesn't mean it's true. Right. Exactly. People are typically living their best life on social media. Yeah. That doesn't always translate into real world. So um and again that ties into the messaging and the thoughts that we have. And if you're not, you know, giving yourself a realistic if not giving yourself realistic messaging in terms of what really could be happening, then yeah, absolutely I think the pressures on um provided by social media can be huge and can have some really negative impacts. So what do you want our listeners to take away from this the next time they pick up their phone and scroll through social media? Hmm. I hope that, I, I think, you know, Tanya said mindful and I, and I mm-hmm. really like that in terms of, I think 
bringing this into consciousness. Um, you know, when things are happening in the unconscious, it makes it really easy for it to build up and for feelings and thoughts to be influenced by it. So even just making it a conscious practice and um, having some awareness around it, mm-hmm. um, paying attention. So one of the ways that we limit things is to pay attention to how much we do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, being more conscious about how long you are scrolling on your phone being more conscious about how many apps you have open or how many apps you look at throughout the day. And in understanding that information, we can decide how to navigate that moving forward, whether we want to make changes in it, whether it be helpful. Um, So I think that if listeners can take that away for themselves and then knowing as parents of young, of young people, of, of adolescents, uh, teens, and, and, and even young children that, as Tony said, we're not set out to be their best friend. We're set out to set those boundaries and parameters and social media is a place that that needs to happen. And so um, setting social media platforms up with your children when it's developmentally age appropriate um, and then based on their age, um, setting up um, expectations uh, that you will be a part of those platforms and monitoring them to kind of ensure the child's not in a vulnerable position um, and that they have boundaries, but also can be can help navigate uh, those platforms with an adult's kind of guiding eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just, again, really being mindful of um, the amount of time that you're on social media versus the time that you're interacting face to face with people. And, you know, that can be even looking at um, a lot of people these days have online calendars, but really yeah. paying attention to, you know, am I doing a lot of things in isolation? Am I limiting the interactions that I'm having face to face with people? And how am I able to increase those opportunities to build connections with people outside of myself, right? And, and you know, looking at different um, activities and different avenues to do that, because really, I think that's the, the fear overall with social media and, and kind of the conversation is, are we are we uh, losing connection through these apps um, and through these platforms? And and I would say that there definitely is uh, an authenticity piece that's being lost. Yes. So yeah, so that, that would be yeah, Looking I... for ways to put down the phone exactly. for, for, for us and for our kiddos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think just be your authentic self and mm-hmm. find things outside of social media that you did once enjoy mm-hmm. and getting back to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For sure. Okay. Like, I know when you guys go on vacation and do decide to shut off consciously, you bring books with you. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. We, we actually have... like books. Yes. <laughs> we have paper. Yeah, so, and no, I know that's great. But at the same time, like, do we find ourselves picking up a book as opposed to picking up our phone in our everyday? Like, it's harder to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think being mindful of that and just mm-hmm. making conscious choices. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. For sure. All right, so I think we can end it off here. Um, awesome. It was yeah. great to speak to you both about yeah, this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the inaugural podcast. Great. Awesome. Take care, everybody, and we will see you on our next episode.